Amen. Amen. Good morning, Haynes Creek. You can have a seat. It's good to be with you today. As Johnny said, my name is Travis, pastor here. If it is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited and, and grateful that you would choose to be here this morning. So we want to uh, just have take an opportunity and just say thank you. So if you do me a huge favor, stop by our welcome table as you go back out in the hallway. Uh, we have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands. We also have these little welcome cards. If you don't mind just taking a minute to fill that out, those come back to me and it just gives me a chance to reach out and just say thank you for your visit. So if you do me that favor, that would be amazing. And church, we're going to continue on where we've been for the last few weeks, and that's walking verse by verse through the New Testament book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're getting close to finishing out the first chapter. I know we've been in this for like six weeks now, and, and we're not done with the first chapter yet. We're getting there. Next week, we'll finish out chapter 1, I promise. Uh, not today, though. Not today. We're getting close. Getting close. So if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 18 and carry it through verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. Uh, we will have the verses right here on the screen. We also have Bibles, again, at our welcome table. Please, please grab one of those on your way home as our gift to you. We would love for you to take one of those Bibles if you don't own one. So Philippians chapter 1. And like I said, we've been working slowly through this opening chapter. We've seen uh, and spent a lot of time in Paul's opening remarks, right? This is how we, he, he has this moment where he starts out all of his letters. You can kind of look at them. They're all pretty similar in structure at the opening, right? He, he kind of shares his name and who he's writing to and, and just gives some open uh, introductory remarks, right? So we, we walked through that. And then in, in starting in verse 12 last week, Paul takes this moment, and we're going to continue that today, where he takes this moment and just kind of lets the Philippians know where he's at, where his mind is at. Because what we know from history here, we're, we're, we know that the Philippians reached out to Paul initially, and that this letter to the Philippians is response to them reaching out to Paul first. And they, they reached out to Paul to check in on him. We, we've seen how, how close of a relationship Paul has with the Philippians, and they hear that Paul is in prison, and he's in Rome, and, and things aren't going so well for Paul, they think. So they reach out, and they're like, hey, man, how are you doing? How are you? Where's your head at? Where's your mind at? Like, what's going on? How can we support you? How can we, like, that's why they reach out initially. So Paul, before he starts talking about, okay, here's, here's my encouragement to you Philippians, which we're going to see beginning next week in verse 27, he just takes a minute like, hey, just so y'all know, here's where I'm at. Here's where things are. And we saw last week where, where Paul's like, hey man, I know I'm in chains. I know I'm in prison. I'm chained to a guard 24-7. I'm in Rome. I have this trial coming up before Caesar. Anything can happen. Like, I, yes, that looks bad. But guess what? God's using that. He's using where I'm at. He's using my circumstances to advance the gospel. And Paul makes it clear last week that his main focus, his main objective, his main goal in life is to do that, is to advance the gospel. This has driven everything for him from the moment he put his faith in Jesus. It's all been about that. And he's like, hey, I know I'm in chains. I know I'm, I'm limited in what I can do, and it's different from what I was able to do, but God is using that to advance the gospel. All across Rome, right? He's sharing the gospel with prison guards. He's sharing the gospel with anybody that he comes in contact with. And, and, and that's spreading all across Rome, right? We, he says that there's believers preaching the gospel all over the place. And yes, some are doing it with these wrong motives where they're sharing the gospel but also taking shots at Paul to tear him down. And he's like, look, I don't care. They can say whatever they want to about me. What matters is the gospel is advancing. People are hearing about Jesus. That's what matters. So that's where Paul's... Uh, objective, right? It has not changed. And now he's going to kind of open up more personally where his heart is at with all that. And what we're going to see from Paul is, is yes, that's his objective, but there is this motivation from Paul that is driving his focus on the gospel. And we're going to see him open up about that today in these verses. So again, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to jump into it today and uh, just dig into this. I'm going to read it all the way through, and then we'll spend some time kind of breaking it down, and then we'll talk about, okay, what, is this, what does this mean, and what does this mean for me right here, right now in my life? So again, starting in verse 18, we saw part of this last week, so where Paul says, what does it matter, right? And that's in response to these people who are sharing the gospel, who are also tearing him down. He's like, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Why? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. And he continues, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Okay, so this is where I just want to point out, chapter and verses are not always super helpful. So just keep in mind, remember that chapter and verses, those are not inspired, right? Paul did not write with chapter and verse in mind, and that was added much later to scripture. And sometimes we get this 
weird breakdowns. That's why I always tell people, like, don't just read one verse. You gotta, we got to read it in context. We got to know what's going on. So right here where it says, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, that's Paul kind of breaking from that and transitioning, bridging to a new topic. So just because the verse isn't over doesn't mean that Paul hasn't transitioned to kind of bridging where he was to where he's going. So just keep that in mind. So I wish that verse 18 ended where it said, and in this I rejoice, but you know, this is where we're at. So just want to point that out, make sure we're all on the same page here. So then he continued, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, verse 19, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Holy, Holy Spirit, from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, sorry. My eager expectation and hope in, is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or by death. Verse 21, probably some of the most famous words from Paul. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So uh, we'll stop there for today. So I just want to walk through this a little bit, point out some things, make sure we're on the same page, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So like I said, verse 18 continues where he left off. So he's saying, look, guys, I know I'm in prison. I know I'm in chains. Things look bad, but I am rejoicing. I'm rejoicing in the advance of the gospel, and I'm also rejoicing in this. Whether, whatever's going on, no matter what happens, I am rejoicing. That's where Paul's mind is at. He is, has a mindset of joy. And we're going to talk more about that, but keep that in mind, that that's Paul's true response, true heart. He's not just saying words here. Keep in mind, remember his circumstances. Remember what's going on with Paul when we read these words, that things look terrible. They look bleak. They look dire. And Paul's like, man, it don't matter. I am rejoicing. I am in joy because of Jesus. And he tells us, verse 19, why is he rejoicing? Because he knows that this situation, where he's at, what's going on, will turn out for his salvation. Look at verse 19 again. Because I know this will lead to my salvation. Now, Paul's not talking about initial saving faith. And we talk as Christians, we're like, hey, you put your faith in Jesus, you get saved, right? Like, we talk about forgiveness from sins. That's what we're talking about. Like, Paul's not saying, I'm getting saved right now. Like, no, he's already put his faith in Jesus. He's already been saved. This phrase, turn out for my salvation, he's pointing to his ultimate salvation, his ultimate end, where his life is ultimately heading, and that is eternity with Jesus. He knows that no matter what is going on in his life, no matter what the end result will be, no matter if he dies or he lives or whatever, if he's in prison for the rest of his life, it does not matter because he knows that God is working in his situation. And God is using every part of his situation to accomplish God's ultimate plan and purpose. That's what Paul means when he says that. He knows that God is at work no matter how it looks on the outside. And Paul continues here in verse 9, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So part of how Paul is assured here, part of why he's rejoicing is through the prayers of the Philippians and other believers that he has in his life praying for him. That just shows us the importance of prayer here. And Paul says that through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that, that, that word help should probably better be translated supply, What that means is, through the prayers of the Philippians, through the prayers of other believers, Jesus is supplying an extra dose of the Holy Spirit for Paul in this moment. And Paul knows that. Paul can feel that. And again, what this reminds us of is is praying for one another is extremely important. We don't have time to camp out here, but just let not our, hey, I'll pray for you, just be empty words that we say to, you know, make somebody feel a little bit better about their situation. No, when we say that, we should actually pray for people because when we pray for people, God is at work. And what we're led to believe here is that extra supply of the Holy Spirit would not come if people were not praying for Paul. Our prayers matter. Our prayers for one another matter. Let's pray for each other, right? 
verse 20. In verses 20 and 21, we're going to mainly hang out there as we continue on today. I think that's just the central message of this passage, but but let's kind of high-level talk through it. So he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or death. And we're going to come back to this, but that, that phrase, highly honored, is so important. It could be translated uh, exalted or, or glorified, and that, that's really what it means. Paul knows that no matter if he lives or he dies, Jesus is going to be glorified, exalted, highly honored in his life. That's Paul's driving force here. Verse 21, again, this is one of Paul's most famous verses, right? If we've been in church for any number of time, we've probably memorized it or have heard it repeated that we could just know it by heart. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we're going to talk more about what that means for Paul and for us. What we know here is is Paul is a little uncertain about what's going to happen next. Remember, he's in prison in Rome awaiting a trial before the most powerful person in the world at this time, Caesar. And his life from a worldly perspective is in the hands of Caesar. And Caesar could decide at a drop of a hat, at a moment's notice, like, I don't like Paul. Kill him. Paul's dead. So Paul knows, man, there is a chance this could go either way. Living, dying, don't know, doesn't matter, though, for Paul. Because if I live, my life is lived for Jesus. And I'm going to keep living for him. I'm going to keep serving him. I'm going to keep sharing the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And if I die, that's gain. Because I get to be with Jesus, right? And he says it in these other verses that that, that is far better. It's far better. And he's, he's not sure. He's not sure if he wants to live or he won't, if he wants to die. And this is not just some kind of like death wish that Paul has. These are not suicidal thoughts that Paul has. No, he's saying, look, if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. And that's awesome. That is far better because we're with Jesus. We leave the brokenness and the sin and the corruption of this world and we go get to be with Jesus for all of eternity. So Paul's like, man, that's awesome. That would be incredible. I'm not scared of death. You kill me, whatever. You're sending me to the best place I could possibly be and that's with Jesus. But he knows that if he continues, if he lives, then that's fruitful work, as he said. That's continuing in ministry. And Paul says that, that it's more necessary on, on their behalf that that should happen. So would Paul rather be with Jesus? Yes. Is he saying that, you know, ultimately I would, I would continue? I'd probably rather stay here? Yes. And why is that? It's not for Paul's sake. It's for their sake. Paul is laying aside his preferences, his desires, what he would choose for the sake of caring for, ministering to, preaching the gospel to the people here. And Paul's sure that, that that's what's going to happen. He says, I'm, I'm persuaded of this. I'm convinced that, that God's going to leave me here, and I'll continue in ministry, and I'll show up, I'll encourage you, I'll encourage other believers. And he ends here in verse 26, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Another way to phrase that is, is your praising of Christ Jesus, your worshiping of Jesus will increase and overflow, will, will increase all the more. So Paul, Paul's pretty sure that that's what's going to happen. So this is where Paul's mind is at. This is where his heart is at. This is where his his mindset is in the midst of his trials, in the midst of his difficulty. He's like, man, I'm rejoicing. And for me to live is Christ, to die is game. And either way I win, if I continue in life, I get to keep serving Jesus. I get to keep loving him, keep keep teaching other people, keep sharing about him to the world. And if I die, well, I get to be with Jesus. How awesome is that? That's Paul's mindset here. That's where his heart is. And and that's where, where everything that we've seen so far and everything that we're going to see from Paul, it all flows from and connects to that mindset. That no matter what he does, no matter how he lives, no matter what happens in his life, he will live to highly honor Jesus. He will live to glorify and exalt Jesus. That's Paul's motivation for everything. What what has led Paul to to all around the world telling people all about Jesus, to facing death threats all over the place, to getting stoned and beaten and imprisoned over and over again? Why would somebody keep doing that? It's all this. He does all of that. He advances the gospel. He gives his life to Jesus because he's all about glorifying Jesus, honoring Jesus with his life, with everything. That's Paul. And again, he's, he's saying all of this while he's sitting in prison for doing nothing wrong. He's innocent. And this is not like a recent thing. Paul has been in prison for years, over two years at this point. And these are the words that he's saying? I don't know about you, but I would like to think that I would have that mindset too. 
I would like to think that I would be saying those things too. But I also know looking at my life where the slightest bit of difficulty comes and I'm like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, maybe that's just me. And you're like, man, Travis, you really got to get right with the Lord here. I would like to think that I would have the same mindset as Paul, but, but, but I, don't, I know for a fact that I, that I don't always have that mindset. And I think we can look at this and kind of be like, man, that would be, that'd be cool to have that mindset. That'd be awesome to have that mindset, but I just, I don't know that, that I'm there. I don't know that I'm there. So how can Paul be like that? That's what I want to dig into, do, into today. Like, how can Paul have this mindset? How can he be saying these words and how can we get there too? Because I think if, if we're believers in Jesus, we've put our faith in Jesus, we would all say, man, no matter what happens in my life, that's the mindset I want to have. That's the attitude I want to have. That's the words that I want to say. How do we get to that point? Again, it all comes back to verses 20 and 21. It all comes back to here that to live is Christ. That no matter what happens, whether you live or die, that Jesus will be honored. That Christ will be exalted. That's the heart and the motivation for everything for Paul. And, and that's what... Jesus calls us to as well. That's the life that Jesus calls us to as well. So our, our, our one and only point for today is this. We are to glorify Jesus with our lives. We're to glorify Jesus with our lives. Everything we say, everything we do, everything about our lives, no matter what happens, now and always, as Paul says, Christ is to be glorified with our lives. Now, I I say that, and if you've been in church, you hear that a lot, right? Like, yeah, give glory to Jesus. We sing songs that are all about that, man. You can listen to any contemporary Christian song, hold him, whatever it is, no matter your preference, and you will hear things like that. We give glory, we give honor to Jesus. And it'd be, you know, I can, I can end there, and we'd all be like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we give glory to Jesus. I want to give glory to Jesus. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? And that's what I want to try to do for us today. Bring that concept, that idea that we say all the time, that we would all agree with. Let's bring it a little bit more into concrete terms. So, so when we say that we are to glorify Jesus with our lives, here's what I mean by that. It means to give all of you to Jesus. Give all of me to Jesus. If we're going to live to glorify Jesus, if we're going to highly honor him, whether by life or our death, no matter what happens now and always, this is what that means, to give all to Jesus, to give everything about me, every part of our lives, to take all that I have, all that I am, and give it to Jesus. And in every area of my life, I live for Jesus in every way. That's what it means to glorify Jesus with our lives. That's what it means to say, I'm going to highly honor Jesus with my life. It's this, it's giving all of me to Jesus. All of me to Jesus. And this is the life that Jesus invites us into. This is what we mean when we talk about having a relationship with God. God wants us to have this, this thriving life of a relationship with him where we are walking in the presence and the power of Jesus every moment of our lives. This, this uh, full and thriving relationship with God. I think if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, that's not always what relationship with Jesus looks like. That's not always what my life with Jesus looks like. I think too often what has happened is we've just settled for something less than what Jesus invites us into. We've settled for this, this lesser than version of Christianity in our culture. Because we can have a pretty good, decent life with, with just a little bit of Jesus. But if we look at our, our spiritual walk with the Lord, how many of us would classify that as a little dull, a little boring, a little stale? Yeah, I come to church. I might read my Bible every now and then, but yeah, it's just, I'm not, you know, nothing's really happening there. Yeah, you know, I got a pretty good life, got a pretty good marriage, pretty good family, pretty good finances. You know, I'm doing well, doing well. Is that really what Jesus died on the cross to bring us into? Is that the life that he's, he's called us to? I, I would say no. But I think we, we've dulled ourselves with the things of this world, with the comforts of this world, and we've settled for a lesser version than what Jesus wants to bring us. Jesus did not die on a cross to bring us into a life where we can have a pretty good life with just a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. What we've settled for is this, this self-help, self-care version of spirituality with just a little bit of Jesus. That's not what life is to look like with him. 
And that's not what's going to lead to this, this thriving life with Jesus. When he says, I came to save you and give you life, this abundant life, that's not what he's talking about. He's got so much more for us. He invites us into so much more. I mean, just think back to that moment that you put your faith in Jesus. How, think back to, to that, that feeling of just the possibility of what life with Jesus was, that excitement, that joy that you had. And sometimes we gotta, we gotta get back to that. We gotta get back to that mindset. This is what life with Jesus looks like. Luke 9, 23 through 25 says, and then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? So when we... When Jesus calls us to follow him, when we put our faith in Jesus and we seek to live for Jesus, this is what he's talking about. He invites us into a life of of putting to death everything and giving it all to Jesus. Full devotion, full commitment to Jesus. No holding back, no, no sitting back, giving it all to Jesus. Everything about us to Jesus. This is what he calls us to. This is what life with Jesus means. It's giving him everything. It's giving him our entire lives, full devotion to him. And he says that when we do that, it seems like we're losing our life, but what we're really doing is gaining life. We're gaining true life when we do that. But I think too often we've bought into this idea that that faith in Jesus means that I have to give up on things. I have to lose things that I would rather keep. We say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yes, I'll give him my heart, but man, I got to... That means I can't do these things that I really want to do. It means I have to live this sacrificial life where I can't have anything, I can't do anything, I can't do the fun stuff that I want to do. I think too often we, we bought into that version of Christianity where it's just, well, yeah, follow Jesus, but, but that means you can't do these things. Well, yeah, of course, there's things that we should and shouldn't do, but I think too often we focus on if I give my life to Jesus, if I live fully for him, then that means I'm missing out on something over here. I'm missing out on this part of my life. I'm losing this. And, and, and that, that's a bummer. I don't want to do that. And she's like, no, you've got it backwards. You think you're losing something. You're not. You're actually gaining something far better. You're gaining true life. Another experience, another moment with Jesus uh, kind of highlights this, and it's, it's found in Luke 18. Luke 18, starting in verse 18, says this. A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, like, Jesus, what does it look like to follow you? How do I get eternal life? I want that. I need that. That'd be awesome. She's like, yeah, cool, man. It would be awesome. Here's what you do. Sell everything you have and come follow me. Get rid of everything and come follow me. And the guy doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He can't let go of his worldly wealth. He can't let go of the things that he's holding tightly onto in this life. And he thinks, if I give this up, I'm losing. And Jesus is like, no, man. You give that stuff up, and you get something far better in return. Notice Jesus says that that if you give that stuff up, you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus knows something this guy has forgotten, that the wealth of this world doesn't come with us. It doesn't last forever. And the things of this world do not give us what we think they will. It leads to death. It leads to despair. It leads to brokenness. And Jesus is like, look, let go of that stuff and come hang on to me and you get true life. You get true wealth, true riches. And the guy can't do it. He thinks he's losing too much with Jesus. So he can't do it. He can't let go. Jesus continues with his disciples. Seeing how sad he became, Jesus said, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we have left what we have had and followed you. Peter's like, look at what all we've given up, Jesus. Look at all these things we've let go of, all for you. And this is Jesus' response. He said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life in the age to come. Jesus makes it clear. You think you've lost out on something, and you haven't. You've actually gained everything. If we're going to live to glorify Jesus, if we're going to step into the type of life and relationship that Jesus invites us into, it's got to start here. We have to see and truly believe that Jesus is our treasure that Jesus is our prize, that he truly and actually is bigger, better, greater, more awesome than anything this world has to offer, than anything that we might be still holding on to in this life, that Jesus is far better than that. And when we let go of these things and grab onto Jesus, we're not losing anything. We're actually gaining everything. It starts there. We have to see Jesus as our prize. And that, that's the key to this life. That's the key to living how Paul lives. That, that's the key to his mindset. That Jesus really is better than anything this world has to offer. That's why when everything's taken away from Paul, he's like, man, I didn't lose anything. I'm with Jesus. I've got Jesus. This other stuff does not matter because I'm with Jesus. I get the prize. I haven't lost anything. I haven't lost out on any experiences or life or whatever that, that actually gives you anything. No, I, I, I've got Jesus. That's the prize. That's the treasure. And that's how we can get to the point where we can truly echo with Paul. To live is Christ. That phrase means that, that Jesus is your life, that he is the center of everything, that everything is all about Jesus. Everything about who you are, your life, all of it, it's all for Jesus. Now let's, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. How would we answer that? How would we answer the phrase, to live is what? To live is blank. And if you're a believer in here, it might be quick to go, no, oh, yeah, to live is Christ, Travis. I'm right there with you. To live is Christ. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with Paul. That'd be awesome. That's true. Is that true? What do our, what do our lives say that answer is? What do our actions, our decisions, our behaviors say that answer is? Is it always to live as Christ or is it to live is my marriage or getting married or my kids? To live as my kids, my whole life is wrapped up in my kids and what they do and giving them the best life that I can and everything revolves around them. I got three of them, y'all. It's real easy to live that. I get it. I do. To live is, is my money, is my money, or my career, or that promotion I want, or my retirement, right? And that's even the language that's used in Christian circles, right? Live like no one else now so that later you can live like no one else. Like true life is found in your retirement. We can easily buy into that mindset and sacrifice everything to get to that ultimate end. But retirement's not bad, don't hear me. I have, I have a retirement savings as well, okay? It's not, that's a, it's wise to have. But if we're banking on that being where true life is found, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. Is, is, is our true life found in validation or acceptance of my family or my kids or my boss or my friends or whatever it is? Is my true life found in, in comfort and security and safety? Is my true life found in, in these little hobbies, these, these places where I get to get out of my, my life and my marriage and my kids and I get on the golf course or, or I go hunting or, or I go to the mall or whatever, like whatever our hobby is, right? And, and no endless and no shortage of things that we can, can give our lives to. Is that where true life is found? What, what gets us excited? What gets us passionate? Where, uh, when do we feel most alive? That's going to help us answer that question, where our life truly is. I don't know about y'all, but, but I can give my life to so many things, so many other things that's not Jesus. And, I, and I, I grab hold of the things of this world thinking that that's where true life is found, and it's, it's not. 
That's not where it's found. It's found in Jesus. We can, we can so be like that rich young ruler who, who wants Jesus, right? He wants eternal life, but he just can't seem to let go of the things of this world. He can't quite let go of what he really loves. We're here to let go of those things and say yes to Jesus. Give all of us to Jesus, all that I am, all that I have. Give it to Jesus. Give him my career, my marriage, my kids, my future. Give it all to Jesus, my desires, my ambitions, all to Jesus, to live my life, to glorify and honor Jesus. Look, when we do that, when we truly let go of the things that we're holding on to and we, we give all of myself to Jesus, all of who I am to Jesus, there's a couple of things that happen that we see from Paul in this passage. And you're like, see, Travis, I knew you didn't have just one point. I know, I know. The first thing that we see from Paul when we, when we, when we get this right, when we, when we let go of the things of this world and we grab onto Jesus and we give him all of us, everything we have, what happens is, is we have a rightly ordered heart. One of the things we have is we have a rightly ordered heart. See, too often, we live lives that are distracted and divided. Our hearts are either distracted or divided. And look, that's exactly what the enemy wants from us. Right? Very, very little do we see you know, strong Bible-believing Christians who have put their faith in Jesus, living for Jesus, go just full-on corrupt, wicked evil, right? Like Satan would love that if we were just like, I'm living a righteous life, and now I'm just mixed up in all sort of evil immorality and just living my life fully committed to all the different sins in this world. That's typically not what happens. We don't typically go to that extreme where Satan has found great success in, in our lives in this culture is to distract and divide us. If he can just get us to live life with Jesus on the periphery or not in our lives at all, I mean, he's one. If the only time we're considering Jesus, if the only time we're opening up our Bibles and, and looking and thinking about anything spiritually is right here on Sundays, and then as soon as you leave here and you go about your week and you're barely thinking about Jesus, you're barely spending time with him, like, man, Satan's one. That's exactly what he wants. He knows that if he can get us distracted and divided on the things of Christ, then we're not going to be effective for the kingdom. We're not going to be growing in our relationship with Jesus. We're not going to be living for the kingdom. We're certainly not going to be telling anybody about Jesus. That's how Satan gets us. He divides and distracts us. And our, our entire secular culture that we live in right now is all geared towards that. It's how, how you can have a, a good, awesome, wonderful life without Jesus. You don't need Jesus to have a good marriage. You don't need Jesus to have good kids. You don't have Jesus to have good finances and, and make wise decisions. You don't need that. No, you can live life without Jesus. And too often, that's how we live. We live, Jesus, we live with Jesus just on the periphery and not in the center. Our hearts are divided and distracted. We're distracted. Look, even as a culture, like we cannot handle not having distractions in life. And this is what the entire social media empire is built off of. This is why that, that makes so much money year after year is because we love to be distracted. I saw a study recently, and I, I forgot the exact number on it, but it was this, uh, this study that was done on a college campus, and they gave students an option. Uh, they wanted them to sit in a room by themselves, no phone, no internet, and just be you know, free from distractions, right? And at any point, they could choose to shock themselves, this electric shock. And they gave them all the shock beforehand. And it was, wasn't like just a little, like little pinch. Like it was an actual shock. And you had, I don't remember the number, but it was, it was more than what I would have thought, choosing to willingly shock themselves as they sit in this room by themselves. Why? Just to feel something. Like we cannot be left alone by ourselves with our thoughts anymore in this culture. What is going on? You're going to shock yourself? Like that's crazy, but that's that's what we do. We, we live these distracted lives, right? I'm not, look, I'm not above this, so there's no judgment coming from me on this, but sometimes when I'm in like a waiting room, I just like to sit back and just kind of look around. Yo, everybody's on their phones. And look, I, again, I do that right before I pull out my phone and do the exact same thing. So again, no judgment, but like we can't just sit. Like there is never anybody who's just chilling there. <laughs> We'd see that person and go, 
Yo, there's something wrong with that person. Don't sit near that guy. He's just staring at the wall. What is wrong with him? Does he not have a phone? What is going on? We live these distracted lives, and we're numbed by it. We're numbed by our TV and our streaming and YouTube and social media and all the things that we fill our lives with to distract us from what's really going on inside our hearts, what's really going on in the world. We don't want to go to that because that'll scare us. So let me just distract myself. Let me just numb myself with the next episode. And again, look, I can be right there with you. I know that, man, I can tend towards that. And TV, streaming, whatever, like that can absolutely be a vice. But it, it, it distracts us. It takes us off of what God is trying to do. And we just numb ourselves with the distractions of this world. And we're also divided, right? We just talked about all the things that we can give our lives to other than Jesus. We can live for, for even good things, right? Like I said, retirement's not a bad thing. That's great, man. You can retire. Praise God. That's awesome. You, you, you want to do awesome things for your kids and give your kids a better life than what you have? Praise God for that. That's incredible. That's, that's amazing. So we can give our lives to even good things, but they become bad things when we elevate them above Jesus, when we divide our heart where we say, Jesus, you can have this part of my life. You can have a little bit of time on Sundays, a little bit of time for small group, and maybe every now and then reading a verse, reading my Bible for a few minutes, and maybe praying before meals. Like, you can have that I don't really need you in my marriage. I don't really need you in my finances. And I definitely don't need you at my job. I got that. We can give our lives to, to just other things in this world. Again, even, even good things. We, we can become too full of this world. And again, we buy into these empty promises of the world, right? We, we think if I give myself to that, then I'll get what I'm looking for. If I, if I demote, devote myself to my job and my career and I, I get that promotion, man, I, I won't have any more worries. If I can just make a certain amount, man, all my troubles will go away. And that's why rich people are the most happy people on the world, right? No, we know that's not true. No, that's not the case. But we buy into that. Man, if my kids were just more well-behaved, well, then, then I wouldn't be so angry all the time. No, you'd probably find something else to be angry about. If I just, you know, if I had a better marriage or if I had a, a new marriage, well, then I'd be happy. I mean, how often are the reasons for divorce irreconcilable differences? That just means you got tired of each other and wanted somebody else. It's not going to give us what we think it gives us. If I just, if I just had this, then, then all of these things that I'm worried about, all of my fears, all of my troubles, all of my anxieties in life would just go away. And I'm telling you, that is an empty promise from the world that we buy into all the time. And sure, that, that one issue might get solved with whatever change you're thinking, but another thing's going to come right back up behind it. Another issue's going to creep up, and you're like, man, I thought I was good. Well, no, now I'm, now I'm frustrated about this. Now I'm despairing over this, whatever it is. We buy into these, lo- these promises, these empty promises that the world gives us, and we divide our heart towards those things. Jesus has this incredible moment um, in Luke chapter 10 where he, he goes to the house of Lazarus, and he's, he's with Lazarus and his, his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And uh, this comes right after the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, and this is what, what happens in verse 38, Luke chapter 10. It says, While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked the Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And when the Lord repeats himself, when he says Martha, Martha, or he repeats a name twice, or he says truly, truly, he's about to drop a truth bomb. So just prepare yourself for that. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Now look, we, we like to dump on Martha and be like, how dare her, right? But she's not not doing something bad. She's trying to be a good host. She's hosting and showing hospitality to God himself, right? I think we would all want to make sure some things are nice and neat and put away and the food's nice and hot and fresh and all that. Like, you don't want to be giving Jesus spoiled food. Like, come on, what are we doing? Like, she's trying to be a good host. She's doing exactly what her culture would ask of her, which is show hospitality by making sure everything is in order. And she's working. She's working her tail off and she sees her sister just chilling with Jesus. And she's like, you're not going to help me out? You're not going to help me out. You, you see me doing all this, right? You're not going to come and help. And she's like, Jesus, get her. Tell her to help me. 
And she's thinking, she's like, Mary, come on, go, go back to the kitchen and help her out. And she's like, no, Martha, you're distracted. You're worried, you're anxious, you're fearful. You're consumed with this stuff. And sure, it might be good, and it's not inherently evil. But what you've done is you've taken those things instead of me. You've devoted yourself to this stuff than just being with me. The right choice is to be with Jesus. Mary's doing that. Be more like Mary. Let go of what we're so worried and distracted and divided over and give yourself to Jesus. That's the lesson we are to learn here. And look, when, when we get that right, when, when we live our lives for Christ, as Paul says, when we live to honor him and glorify him, when we get that right, again, that, that orders our heart correctly. Now our hearts are centered on Jesus, all about Jesus, living for Jesus. Everything is going and flowing to and from Jesus. That, that corrects everything else. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have issues, but it corrects these, these empty promises that we buy into. Everything flows from that, our marriage. And you want to have an awesome marriage? You want to have a good marriage? Again, not free from all these difficulties that we have, not the, the ups and downs that marriage brings, but you want, to have, you want to have a good marriage? Get your heart right with Jesus. Live for Jesus. Glorify Jesus fully. And man, then you'll start to see your spouse as the gift that they are. Then you'll start to love and, and serve and care for your spouse the way that Jesus calls us to. You want to parent your kids the way that Jesus calls us to? Man, get your heart right with Jesus. Give him everything. And then we can parent out of a, a good heart and not an angry and, and demanding heart. We want to spend more time with Jesus. It starts here. I mean, too often we can, uh, we spend all summer talking about this. I won't get into it. But, but spiritualism, we can just be like, well, I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I better do these things or else. I mean, you want to have a, an awesome time with Jesus? Like, get this part right. Give your all to Jesus. And guess what? Waking up early to be with Jesus is not going to seem like a chore. It's going to be like, man, I get to go be with Jesus. I get to open up my Bible and spend time with Jesus. I get to go, y'all, I got to get up early. I got to set my alarm because I got to be with Jesus. I got to spend time with Jesus. Church on Sunday, won't be like, oh, man, I got to go to church. But, man, I get to go to church. I get to be with Jesus and Jesus' people. Like, that's awesome. Why would I go and do something else? Why would I choose to miss out on that? Because I, I don't get to be with Jesus and I don't get to be with Jesus' people. Like, it just, it orders everything else. Man, you want to share the gospel? You want to live a missional life? It starts here. Because, man, if your heart is fully consumed with Jesus, I'm telling you, you won't be able to stay silent. You won't be, it'll be a chore to be like, oh, I can't talk about Jesus right now. Oh, man, I got to talk about something else. No, you'll be like, man, I, I got to tell you about Jesus i got to tell you about them. Because when we have that kind of life with Jesus, man, we're going to want to tell everybody because we want them to have that life too. Man, it's like, I, I can see that you're living for the things as well and you think they're going to give you this and it's just, it's not. Well, you know where you can find that thing that you desire? It's Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. When we get this right, when we, when we have a rightly ordered heart where Jesus is the center, everything flows from that. And we can say with Paul, to live is Christ. So it gives us a rightly ordered heart. It also gives us a right perspective. We give all of us to Jesus. We have a right perspective. Again, remember Paul's circumstances here. Remember what's going on, right? He's wrongly imprisoned for years, chained up to a Roman guard 24-7. Everything about his life and his ministry has radically changed. And yet, and yet he's rejoicing, Paul might die. He might be put to death as a result of where he's at, and yet he is rejoicing. He has hope. He has courage. He hasn't wavered in his faith. I mean, again, just think about how often something goes wrong in our lives, and we're like, God, where are you? I can't tell you how many times I've thought that. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat across from another believer, even pastors, who are like, man, this, this, and this is going on, and it's really making me question my faith in Jesus. I'm really struggling here. And look, that, that's not to, to shame or demean anybody like myself who's thought that. That's not what I'm trying to do here, but it, but it tells us how often we attach our faith to how we're feeling. We attach our faith to what's going on in our lives. We, we pair our faith and our mood together. If I'm feeling great, I'm good with Jesus. If I'm struggling, if I'm down, if I'm in despair, if I'm frustrated, well, then I'm like, well, Jesus, where are you? What's going on? But Paul teaches us that, man, when we give everything to Jesus, he gives us a right perspective on things. He shows us how we can, we can see 
our circumstances and the world around us to where we're not tying our faith to how we're feeling that day. We're not tying our faith to what's going on in my life in that moment. So a couple of things we learned from Paul here. When, when, when Jesus has everything, when, when Jesus has our all, we can have joy. We can have joy just like Paul because Jesus is always with us. Jesus is always with us. We can have hope or we can have joy because Jesus is always with us. No matter what's happening, that, that truth is not going anywhere. No matter what darkness we're walking into, no matter what valley we're in, the Lord, our shepherd, is with us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't turned his back on us. He is right there with us no matter what. And that's the filter we need to see our lives through. Like, just like we, we put a filter with pictures that we're taking. I mean, look, there's a big difference between me taking your picture on my old phone and you getting your picture taken by a professional, right? Because they have a better camera, they got a better lens, they got better filters, they can do things in programs to make us all look better than maybe we actually are, right? Like, that's, that's why we hire photographers to take our pictures, because they're awesome at it. We need to filter our lives through, through this Jesus filter, through this presence, this constant presence of Jesus, that no matter what we have going on, he is right there with us. He is not silent. He has not forsaken us. He has not turned his back on us. He is always right there. And look, when we, when we remove that filter, when we forget that, man, that's when we start to complain. That's when we start to grumble. I, I talk about this with my kids all the time. It's like, man, y'all have a good life. You have no idea how good you actually have it. And I'm preaching that to them. And the same time, I need to be preaching that to myself because how often do I complain and grumble? Well, why, if I only had this, I wish I had that. I wish this was that. And we just neglect the blessings that God has given us. We need to put that filter back on and see our lives, see our circumstances through the truth that Jesus is always with us, the ever-constant presence of Jesus. So we can have joy because God is always with us. We can have hope like Paul here because Jesus always fulfills his promises. Look again at verse 20. Verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body. So when we say hope, the Bible has a different way of understanding hope. See, we say hope and it's wishful thinking, right? I hope it is good weather day. I hope this or that happens. I hope my kids don't act a fool when I get home, right? Like I hope these, whatever it is, it's wishful thinking. It's like, I, I want this to happen, but I'm not really sure. No, when, when the Bible says hope, it is a guarantee. It is a certainty because hope from a Christian perspective is not based in the changes of this world. It is based in the constant truth that, that Jesus always fulfills his promise. He always does what he says. There are never any broken promises with Jesus. Never once does he fail. Never once does he say, hey, I know I said this was going to happen, but hey, let me, you know, things have changed, right? It is what it is. Sorry, man. That doesn't happen with Jesus. God is faithful and he always comes through. He always delivers. He always provides. And look, that, that provision, that coming through, that salvation that Paul talks about, that deliverance of whatever we're walking through, it may or may not come in this life. It may come in the next life when we get to step into complete perfection with Jesus. We may not get the resolution here, but we know for sure it's coming. In this life or the next, it will happen because God always delivers on his promise. So we can have hope. When Jesus says something, we can have hope that that will happen. He always comes through. Our God is faithful. And lastly, we see from Paul, we can have courage no matter what's going on because Jesus is all-powerful. We can have courage because Jesus is all-powerful. He says that again in verse 20. That now is always with all courage. That could also be translated boldness. With all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body. There's no fear with Paul. And look again, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He could live, he could die. He's certain that he's going to live. He's, he's pretty persuaded by that. He, he thinks that's what's going to happen. But it, it might not. And yet he has no fear. There's no fear of what's coming. There's no fear of the next step. There's no fear of the unknown. There's no fear of the uncertainty of life. And why is that? Why can Paul live with boldness and courage and why can we do the same? It's because Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is always on his throne in full control of everything that is going on. There is never once where Jesus is asleep at the wheel. Oh, man, 
Y'all, I forgot to control the universe today. My bad, y'all. My bad. Let me, let me fix this stuff going on. That's not what happens. It's never once where Jesus is like, hey, I know that's a big problem you got, and you've been praying, and you've been trusting me, but like, I hate to tell you this, but like, that's too big for me. Sorry. I can't handle that. Or it's like, hey, you know what? I've got all these other things, and your request is just, it, it, that's one too many. Sorry. Your life, I can't handle your life because I'm doing all this other. No, that's never the case with Jesus. He is always all-powerful. He is always in control. He is always sovereign over everything. We are always safe and secure in his hands, no matter what's going on, because God is always at work. He's always at work in every situation, and we can live with all courage, with all boldness, with no fear of what's going to happen next. We might not know what's going to happen next. In fact, we never know what's going to happen next. But we can step into life's uncertainty in boldness and courage because of Jesus. Because he is always in control. He is greater than whatever we have going on. And look, Paul demonstrates this, this most with his view on death here. What's life's great uncertainty? What's the great unknown, as we say? It's death. It's death. We, as a culture, are fearful of death. And we don't like to talk about that. I don't like to talk about that because it's messy. It gets awkward. It's unknown. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. People are, are fearful of death. But Paul tells us here that believers should not live that way. There's no unknown with death when it comes to Scripture. We know exactly what's going to happen. We know exactly what is going to happen. And because we have put our faith in Jesus, believers can step into the uncertainty of death, that feeling of, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, we don't have to worry about that because we know when we die, man, we get to be with Jesus. We get what Paul says is gain and far better. There's no uncertainty there. There's no fear there. We get Jesus. Like I said, the Bible is clear on this. The Bible is clear that that there's two things ha- that happen in life. One, we're going to die. We will die. Unless Jesus comes back beforehand, we are going to die, every single one of us. The Bible also tells us that when each of us die, we will stand before God. We will stand before God, and we have eternity ahead of us. And we have either eternity in complete perfection with Jesus, or we have eternity in torment and separation from God forever. Those are the two options. Eternal life only comes through faith in Jesus. Through faith and through giving my life to Jesus by trusting in him for our salvation and forgiveness, not trusting in myself, by looking to Jesus, by giving my everything to Jesus. That's where eternal life is found. It's not found in my ability to live a good life, to have enough of my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. That's not how this works. I'm not saved because of a general belief in a God-like figure out there. I'm not saved because maybe I went to church a few times. Maybe I read my Bible a few times. I know some facts about God. That's not what saves us. The only way we can step into death with certainty of life with Jesus is to put our faith in him. Put our faith in him. So we, to live, as Paul says, to live as Christ, to get to that point, we have to give our lives to Jesus. We have to give him our all. And when we do that, it gives us a rightly ordered heart. It gives us a right perspective. So, so what's our action step today, right? So we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, what this looks like and I've probably gone longer than I should. So what's our action step? What, is this, what does it look like to walk away from this, Travis? What, what am I supposed to do today? Our action step is this. Give it all to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus in every part of your life. What are you still holding on to? How are we still like the rich young ruler who's like, Jesus like, hey, give me everything. And you're like, okay, you can have everything but this. You can have it all, but these things I got to keep. What are we holding on to? It's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. If we're going to live to glorify Jesus, if we're going to live for him in all areas, we have to let go of these things and grab on to Jesus. Let go of the things of this world and hold on to Jesus. Give him our everything. You want a thriving, powerful relationship with the Lord? It's found here. It's found here in giving your all to Jesus. 
William Booth, uh, he was the creator of the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army did a lot of, a lot of incredible, has done a lot of incredible work in, in reaching the poor and caring for people, providing for those that are vulnerable ever since William Booth created this. And he was asked at the end of his life, man, like, tell us how you did that. Like, how are you able to do all that you've done with the Salvation Army and, and created this thing that really helps people? Like, what, how, what, what's going on? What's the secret? William Booth says this. I will tell you the secret. God has had all that there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, even with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Christ Jesus could do with me and them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. God has had all that there was of me. Give all of you to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus in every part of your life. Let go of all that you're holding on to. Let go of these empty promises that you've bought into the lies that the world has told you about where true life is found. Let go of all of that and grab on to Jesus. Give all of you to Jesus. And look, maybe you're doing that for the first time today. Maybe you're here and you're, maybe you've been in church for a while. I don't know. Maybe you've, you've heard a lot of things about Jesus. You, you thought that you were good, but then we started talking about death and you're like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you, you don't have any kind of background in that. Maybe you've never been to church, really. You've never thought about God and what he's doing in your life. But I'm telling you, like, you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. God is at work. And he wants you to listen. He's inviting you into true life. And all we have to do is say yes. All I have to do is say yes, Jesus. I want to give you my life. I want to live for you. No longer am I trusting in myself for my salvation. I am trusting in you. I want to give everything to you. He's inviting you in to true, ultimate life. Say yes. Maybe you're here and you've been a believer for a long time. And we've started to see, man, my, my life is a little distracted. My heart is a little divided. I have been despairing over my circumstances more than resting in the power and grace and truth of Jesus. Well, it's the beauty of the gospel. I mean, Jesus just says, hey, come back to me. Come back to me. All you got to do is turn back to me. And, and my arms are open and welcome. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's just more and more grace. More and more love. Come back to Jesus. Turn to him. Let go of these things that we're holding on to, believer and live for Jesus. I mean, just imagine what the Lord would do with even 30-something people if we gave our everything to Jesus. When we talk about last week advancing the gospel and that God has not called us to cultivate a desert, but a garden, then you want to know how God can, can do some real work for the kingdom here in this area? It starts here. It starts here. You want to be a part of what God is doing, how God is at work. Let's give him our everything. Let's give our all to Jesus. Let me pray for us, and we're going to step into a time of worship and communion like we do every week. And this is for the believers in the room. This is for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. We, we have the tables set up on either side with the elements, the bread and the juice. We, we eat and we drink, and we do this as a response to what Jesus has done for us. We do this as a recognition that, Jesus, you are my Savior, that everything I have is because of you, that I get to be in eternity with you because you died on the cross and rose from the grave. Communion reminds us of that, reminds us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us so that he could save us and lead us into true life. That's what communion reminds us of. So believer in the room, I want to encourage you, spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in, in just silent worship to Jesus. Maybe even you open up your palms and you're like, Jesus, I want you to have all of me. Take it all, Lord. Show me where I'm holding on to. Show me where I'm holding back and lead me to give it all to you, Jesus. So believe me, spend some time preparing your heart. 
celebrating and praising the Lord for what he's done. And then as you're ready, you go to the tables and then we come back and let's, let's worship our good God and Savior. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, but man, you feel like the Lord's leading you to that and you're just not sure what to go on, you're not sure what's going on in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and you're like, ah, help me, that's what we're here for. I'll be hanging back, I'll be here after service. We've got other people that would love to chat with you about this. Don't, don't leave without asking and talking with somebody. I just encourage you that if it's not me, find somebody. Let me pray for you. And Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done, Lord. Jesus, would you lead us to let go of whatever we're holding back, whatever we're holding on to, Jesus, whatever we think we're gonna lose out on and step into true, full, thriving, abundant life with you, Lord. Would we give you our everything? And that doesn't mean that our lives are gonna be perfect, that we're never gonna have struggles. I mean, we look at Paul's life, Lord, you show us that from the moment Paul put his faith in you to the moment he died, there was no shortage of hardship and difficulty. And yet, he can say with certainty that he is rejoicing in you, that life is for you. So Jesus, lead us to that. Would we let go? Would we give it all to you, Jesus? We love you, we praise you, we worship your name. Shame we pray. Amen.